Welcome to the Franchise Hounds podcast. I'm Greg Macchia, a certified franchise consultant. Thanks for joining me as I interview franchise industry pros to dissect, explore, and discover franchise ownership. Joining me today is John Austinson. John serves as the CEO of Franbridge Consulting and Capital where he and his partners own 17 territories across five property service franchises. John is the author of The Franchise Path and is a frequent contributor and thought leader for publications on the topic of franchising and franchise investments. Prior to Franbridge, John was the president of Shelf Genie, an Inc. 500 franchise system with over 200 locations. I hope you enjoy today's discussion with John Austinson, and his insight regarding franchise as an investment vehicle. John, welcome to Franchise Sounds. Thanks for joining the show. Greg, appreciate you having me. Love the show. Yeah, I've been looking forward to having you on as I as I follow your work. And I think the topic of franchising as an investment vehicle is really an important one. You know, I, I feel like sometimes there's this misconception around franchising that you're just buying a paycheck or, or why wouldn't you just do that yourself and not pay the royalties? And then it's for kind of a less savvy operator or business person. And, you know, when in reality, there's, there's many owners out there with kind of the empire builder mentality who are, who are really doing incredibly well and, you know, setting themselves up and their families for the long term. Uh, I'd be curious to kind of get your opinion on this. Yeah, no, I, obviously, uh, you know, what I find, and, and I've been speaking with a lot of investment groups and going on podcasts and and really providing education similar to how you do, Greg, in, in that I see franchising as an asset class. You know, people are looking to um, diversify their portfolios and, you know, beyond stocks and bonds. We're all nervous about where the stock market level is right now, and yet interest rates are so low and you know, real estate's obviously hot, but only so many good real estate deals to be had right now. And and so, outside of Bitcoin and baseball cards, you know, where else are you going to park your uh, <laughs> park your extra funds? You know, it's it is a true challenge that you know a lot of people are facing. And I, what I found is oftentimes franchising is not on their radar. And yet, uh, if you dig deep enough, a lot of them, you know, whether it be through semi absentee ownership, uh, you know, or through being more passive and in investing in an operator, you know, there are a lot of different ways to get involved in franchising, but it's not on their radar. And so I have had a lot of fun just kind of helping the light bulb turn on uh, for a lot of prospective investors out there. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, you know, franchise ownership is definitely like an underutilized approach and even under understood approach, if that's a, if that's a word. And I don't know if it's because, you know, Financial advisors who most people, you know, look to for this type of advice don't necessarily do a good job with this. You know, their view of diversification is, you know, all in the market. Right. Um, whereas something like franchise ownership or real estate, as you mentioned, or uh, is, is really kind of true diversification. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I, I think advisors, obviously, from an incentive standpoint, they want you to have as much, you know, many assets under management as possible. That's how they get paid. And so they would be de-incentivized to encourage you to take those assets elsewhere. You know, but there are tools out there like a portfolio loan where you can borrow against your portfolio and um, and not have to liquidate some of your stocks in portfolios. So um, there are ways to go about it that align those interests with your advisor. And, uh, you know, if it's a good advisor that's truly a fiduciary, then they would uh, be looking out for your interest. And, and again, I think many of them, it's not that they're hiding it. It's just that they haven't thought about franchising as an option. Sure. And before we dive too deep, you have such a unique background as you've kind of been on both sides of the table and, and worn many different hats in the franchising space. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because 
I think really you and your partners are, are really walking the talk with this strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, going back a ways, I spent most of my career in the corporate world and had, had a good run and could have done that forever. But uh, like so many out there had that itch to, to get into business ownership at some point in time. And and the light bulb moment for me was when I stepped away from the public company world into the private company world and took on the leadership reins at Shelf Genie Franchise System, running the day-to-day operations uh, with our marketing teams, the call center and technology teams, uh, supporting all of our franchise owners. And uh, for me, I loved doing that, but I also saw what business ownership looked like through the lens of uh, franchising. And I just saw how it was such a better path to business ownership for so many. So long story short, ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie, a guy by the name of Alan Young. And we spun off and we've had uh, since then several ventures, uh, but currently we are multi-brand franchisees ourselves. So now we are on the other side of the table, as you said, uh, having been a franchisor, now a franchisee of uh, several businesses within the uh, property services space. I've also placed investments with a few consulting clients of mine as well, also in the property services space. So that that's just one that we know we like, understand, and uh, have kind of picked as our avenue. So um, no, and, and what I find is in the conversations I have with clients around the country, more and more people do have an interest in, hey, what is that model? I don't know that I want to run the day-to-day operations, but how can I get involved and get exposure to franchising where, as you said, you're you're building a revenue stream. You're also getting the benefits of business ownership, which is, you know, I mean, it's honestly one of the last bastions of tax benefits <laughs> out there right now is being a business owner, be able to write things off. Um, and people oftentimes overlook that. But you're also building an asset that's going to have an exit value down the road if you uh, build it halfway decent. So, um, you know, it's kind of a three-prong value creation model as I see it. I like that. I, I remind clients of that all the time. I said, you know, sure, you're, you're earning income along the way, just like you are at your job. But unlike, you know, your job and just a paycheck, you've also purchased an investment you know, that if you follow the system and, you know, the system will grow over time and um, you have something worth something at the end of the day. Yeah. No, that's well said. And on top of that, all that, you've authored a book as well, right? The Franchise Path. And I was actually just talking to the client before this and he asked if he can get a copy. I'm embarrassed to say, Greg, the book is done. The book is done. We've got the acknowledgements. We've got the, <laughs> we've got the, uh, uh, the cover, everything has been done except uh, kind of the final edits and getting it out the door. And I'm embarrassed to say, but I'll acknowledge it, 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 there's important and urgent items in your life. And uh, right now that is one that hasn't been as urgent, but uh, I look forward to releasing it very soon. That's exciting. Congratulations. I've heard from a few authors that that's quite an undertaking and, and a learning experience. So kudos to you. It was. No, it's called The Franchise Path. And I did bring in a ghost writer who is a fiction ghost writer. So I shared with her all of the principles of franchising that I wanted to incorporate and the learnings that I wanted to teach. And then had her help me craft a story around that, a fictitious story. So taking a little bit of a different approach to teach those uh franchise principles. Oh, that's neat. Can you touch a little bit on the the private equity activity in this space? Because, you know, private equity, they're typically, you know, viewed as pretty, pretty astute, you know, buyers or sellers and, uh, and they, and they love the franchise model, right? And I think that says a lot. They absolutely do. You know, private equity loves franchising for many of the reasons that, that we love franchising. It's the, there's the cash flow. It's somewhat predictable. You've got the playbook in place. You know, the, if franchisees are struggling, they can fall back on the franchisor. Um, oftentimes you're scaling using other people's 
money and uh, they're putting skin in the game. You're not just creating new sales markets, but instead you actually have owners that know that local market and have aligned interests. So, you know, checks the boxes for uh, private equity. And I, I get calls multiple times a week from private equity firms, oftentimes looking for that next emerging franchisor that kind of checks their the boxes of their mandate as to what they're looking for. And they like to hear what's going on on the ground. So I'll share with them my two cents. But no, we're seeing a lot of private equity deals in franchising, typically at the franchisor level. However, uh, they are, I'd say, getting more active at the franchisee level too and um, coming in. And, and it could be that they invest at the franchisor level and then they go in and take some of those franchise locations and buy them back as corporate locations. We've seen that a few times. You know, it, recently in the past two weeks, Princeton Equity Group, uh, who, who I know very well, you know, took a big interest in Strickland. American Eagle, Merchant Partners, Eagle Merchant Partners here in Atlanta has taken an interest in several companies recently as well, such as Code Ninjas. You know, they're part of Chicken Salad Chick. I mean, the, you, the examples go on and on, uh, but we are seeing a lot of interest. Um, again, even with, with those guys, the dollars may be bigger, but money on the sidelines looking for a place for a good return. That's interesting. And with the run, you know, we've seen in the stock market and, you know, the, the nervousness around that and the, and the future of that, do you think we'll see more people looking at, you know, franchising as a, as a safer bet or as a diversification method, even at the individual level? Without a doubt. No, we, we've definitely been seeing that and expect to continue to see it. And, you know, I think part of it is you, people do have, you know, inflated uh, 401ks. Um, they are, you know, whether they're nervous about, uh, you know, the, the performance going forward, whether they're nervous about inflation. I mean, there's a lot of kind of macro factors at play. Um I think part of it too is coming out of COVID. You know, a lot of people sat back and questioned, you know, the path that they're on and said, you know, decided I've always had that desire to be a business owner. Maybe now's the time I scratch that entrepreneurial itch and, and actually step out. And as you know, I mean, some people will start the investigation process and then get cold feet later on. Others will uh, decide now's the time to, to, to make that plunge. Um, so no, we're projecting franchise sales this year to be up close to 40% over pre-pandemic levels. I, I would go so far as to call it a renaissance in franchising. Um, out there, a lot of interest, a lot of deals happening, uh, which is fun to see. Yeah. And, and I've also heard that given the, the the real estate market with the things that didn't make it through the pandemic, there there will be a lot of opportunities for, for space and, and tenant improvement and things like that, that maybe didn't exist before the pandemic. Yeah, no, for sure. There are some opportunities there. I think there's a gravitation towards sectors um, such as health and wellness and, you know, uh, maybe uh, immunity boosting. You know, I, I know you had Ben Crosby from the Drip Bar on your show in the past. You know, I love that model. I've done some deals with those guys. And, um, you know, I think that's a good example there of a business that's only going to grow from here. Um, I'm seeing a lot of interest out there in property services and in some of those uh, COVID-resistant, Amazon-resistant type businesses that, you know, there's a strong desire for. You know, on the flip side, to give the full picture, you know, the labor market is a little bit challenging and, um, you know, right, right now finding good labor and incentivizing, retaining and holding on to those folks can be a challenge. And, and, you know, I tell my clients all the time as business owners, you're always going to be playing whack-a-mole, whether it's customer demand that you're trying to generate or it's uh, fulfillment on the back end and, and personnel issues. But what you're do, what you've done is you've traded the challenges and the issues brought to you by a boss in the corporate world for challenges and issues that may be new to you, but they do come with business ownership. Um, I like to think the high highs, you know, that come with business ownership are higher than those you would ever experience helping someone else make money in the corporate world. But um, you're definitely still going to have issues that you have to work through, and and that's where I think franchising, uh, as you know. It, 
having the support of other franchisees that have aligned interest with you. You're all trying to build that brand together and the franchisor just makes such a difference versus being out there on your own. Yeah. I have a, I have a, <laughs> I have a good friend who's doing the corporate thing and, and doing quite well. And he always says to me, Hey, at least it's your own BS that you're dealing with and not somebody else's. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I say, good so thing. true. No, so and true. I've been seeing the same thing with, with my clients and candidates that I talk to, you know, there's, whether they whether they've recently lost a job or the fear of job uncertainty or or just the time at home that you know everyone went through with the pandemic has given people you know time to rethink things and what's important and and what they want to do that there, there's definitely an uptick in interest so that's really exciting and you know since we're talking about franchising ownership as an investment vehicle what type of ROI should owners See, hope to see, expect to see. Well, without making any earnings claims, uh, I would direct <laughs> them to the item 19. And, and you know, w- when I sh- talk with investors, they are amazed to see what kind of returns you can make when you look at it from an ROI standpoint. So let's say you buy into a franchise at $150,000 and the item 19 has you doing you know, $450,000 in top line revenue at a 33% EBITDA margin. And that's on the higher end of margins. I, I, I see them north of that, but you know they may be as low as 15%. It just depends on the industry, but let's say 33%. So that's essentially $150,000 dropping into the bottom line. And it's not necessarily going to happen in year one, but once you get it up and going year two, year three. And so that 150, while well, it's a 33% margin, which is very healthy, when you put that over your uh, denominator of what you paid for the business, I mean, that's that's a 100% return right there in one you know full year of operating. And then if you're building that asset, you're going to be able to achieve a multiple down the road you know, when you sell that business. And so you're also building towards that. So it, you can really see some high numbers, even if uh, you know things don't go quite as planned. And I always tell people to take a conservative approach to the item 19, especially if it's based on just the corporate location and not a large swath of locations. But even when you take a conservative approach, a lot of these are very attractive models that, that are put together. Um, one study that I saw recently, Greg, was across 2,000 transactions upon exits uh, where they looked at similar industries, similar sectors of franchise businesses versus non-franchise. And what they found over a large data set was that franchise businesses trade at a multiple of typically one and a half times that of non-franchised. Anecdotally, I've always known it's true to some degree, but to see it quantitatively defined across a large number of locations really was eye-opening to me. Yeah, no, that, that is interesting. I saw that study as well, and I was going to mention it. Yeah, and it's just proof to the your point earlier even about why why private equity views this you know, franchising is so appealing with those, with the systems in place and that sort of thing. It's just a, it's just a safer bet if there, if there is such a thing, you know, as, and I, I like the way you position that and kind of broke it down, but, you know, as, as, as with other heavily performance based opportunities, whether it's heavily com- sales commissioned or, or something with profit sharing, you know, the, the overall financial results largely depend on, you know, the abilities of the, the operator or the owner and that type of thing. So it is, it is good to, to keep in mind, but, but those numbers are, are very appealing. And it's really, you know, it, it is, I'm sure this is brand or concept dependent, but, but for someone who does plan on keeping their job and using this as an additional revenue stream or as a, as an absentee owner or that sort of thing, what do you what do you tell people that their their day to day will look like as as you know the owner for that type of ROI? Yeah, you know I, I tell them that 
you know, it depends on a couple of things and it's really their approach and their mindset. Are are they willing to hire someone, say, is that GM ahead of revenue? Are they willing to, uh, you know, make those personnel moves kind of prior to, uh, to, to things happening? And if so, then you can definitely run a business semi-absentee. Um, typically what I say is if you expect it to take you 15 hours a week as a semi-absentee, it's probably going to take you 20. If you expect 10 hours, it's probably going to take you 15, um, especially in the early going. I mean, so much of this is, you know, building economies of scale over time where you have multiple people working on the team, maybe even multiple brands or multiple territories, and you're able to get some synergy. But early on when you're starting out and, you know, you're, you're pretty lean and, and trying to manage it lean, um, you're going to be a little more hands-on if you're, if you're conservative and haven't set aside a large pool of cash to, uh, to fund marketing, let's say, um, or to uh, fund the fulfillment side. So most franchise systems advertise themselves as semi-absentee. I think some are more semi-absentee. Some are more owner semi-absentee-ish, uh, you know, from an operating standpoint. So each one's different. And I think the approach of the franchisee is different as to what that involvement needs to look like. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I think, I think initially the, the more hands-on the owner is, even if it's uh, positioned as uh, you know, semi-absentee, that, that, that will really benefit them down the road as far as understanding the business better and kind of seeing how all things kind of work together. Absolutely. Are there, are there certain sectors you like better for, for the semi-absentee model? You know, I, I think in some cases, and, you know, I was listening to like, you know, Ben Crosby with Dripart, and I, I know Ben well, that's one that I've had you know, clients buy into as semi-absentee, um, you know, a business that I'm invested in here in Atlanta, it's the driveway repair business. And, uh, you know, I partner with a guy I went to business school with and he runs it. And um, I, I see a lot of owners in their system as semi-absentee. You know, when I was at Shelf Genie, we um, really wanted owner operators. And you see that in some cases, they say, hey, we really want owner operators, not semi-absentee. Um, so I think really understanding, looking at the other franchises, I mean, one of the great things is before you buy a franchise that you can look at, you know, how other people are running their businesses, do what's called validation and get the experiences from others. So I think it's really looking at that and scrutinizing that and understanding our, what is your involvement in the business. Um, but no, I'd say as far as industries go, and I, and I primarily st- work with industries that are non-food related. You know, I think food related early on, if you have one or two locations, you're very involved. I think over time, as you build that out, you can be very semi-absentee there. Um, just had a client buy four automotive uh, locations up in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's going to be semi-absentee because he's going to have a manager over each one. So his day-to-day will look like he's driving from location to location, check in, check the numbers. You know, And I think that's what a lot of people aspire to. Um, I do see a lot of people in the property services space, you know, which has been very hot, looking to run those semi-absentee. Again, those are personnel heavy. And so I think right now it's it comes down to getting that right GM. I mean, I can't stress that enough. You've got to have a good point person that you can hold accountable that's reporting back to you on a quantitative basis. Um, otherwise, I think you're asking for some headaches that you didn't expect and maybe a longer ramp up. Yeah, no, I would I would agree. And I think the the other interesting thing, and I'm sure you find this, is when, when you're talking to candidates who may be coming from corporate or somewhere else that they're surprised that, you know, they could own a Meineke and not be a car guy, or they could own a 360 painting and, you know, and have never painted anything before. So it's really fun. And it's a fun process to go through to kind of open their eyes as as far as what, what the possibilities are. 
um, you know, even even given their current skill set. Hundred percent. Now, I find that the vast majority of people that I work with, and I'm sure that you work with as well, end up in a sector with a brand that they probably never heard of, and in an industry they never thought they'd be in. And so that's kind of the matchmaking <laughs> fun of it. And it's really interesting. I mean, once you peel back the onion, you understand what what they want the day to day to look like, what their investment profile is. Uh, you know, whether they like large teams or small teams, whether they uh, have a risk tolerance for xyz or or that you know once you peel that back then introducing them to brands and opportunities that weren't on their radar it's a lot of fun and and back to kind of you know diversification in the investment are are you seeing many owners either become multi multi multi-unit or or multi-brand operators is that is that a trend you're kind of starting to see most deals i see right now are multi-territory i'd say three is kind of the magic number a lot of people buy three territories or three locations you start out with one and marketing and a couple of zip codes within one territory let's say and then you continue to expand from there so i'd say three is very common have also see a lot of five pack deals as we would call them um, but then still quite a few single you know single unit deals as well are, are happening um, I see a lot of people that ha- aspire to multiple brands and they like that diversification and it could be that they're in totally different industries what I find though is more often than not that diversity looks like it's within a um, related industry so you get the economies of scale and the synergy I mean that's what we're doing in Atlanta with our property services businesses you know we've got a home cleaning business, a carpet cleaning business, and a pool cleaning business that we have a GM running the day-to-day on. And and, and even we as owners have been more involved than we expected to be, which is okay. Um, but, you know, we have some shared back-end resources across those businesses. So you get some economies of scale there. Then you can also do some cross-marketing on the front end. So I, I've got a client in South Carolina. He's doing something very similar. And, they, and they're not necessarily related businesses. But what he's done is he was the largest franchise owner of two men in a truck. And he built out the organization. He operates in like 10 markets. And uh, he's built this organization. So he's able to promote within now to other opportunities. And so when he sees a business he likes – you know, he and I will go out and, and work on that deal, and then he'll put one of his people over that business and give them a large chunk of equity because they've proven themselves with him on that core two-minute truck business. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, I, I really like that model that that you guys are implementing there in Atlanta with the, with the home service businesses. I, I know like premium service brands is another one that does it well because – you know, I, I tell potential owners or future owners that if, if you buy into that, even as a, a single unit owner in one of the brands, you and you can enjoy the benefit of those synergies. You know, it's it's a very similar customer base, so they can market across that. You know, if one of those service businesses is in a is in a home for you know house cleaning and they see they need carpet cleaning, then you know you can recommend your sister brand type of thing. So really, really beneficial as the owner, whether you're, you're the actual own more unit than, you know, than one, uh, you still benefit from being part of that system, which I, I like a lot. hundred percent. Well, John, I think, uh, this is, this has been great. I think it's probably time to land this plane and, uh, I've really enjoyed having you on the show and, and your insights on this, on this topic. Uh, I'll be sure to include links Uh, in the show notes to how to find you and your firm. So thanks again, John. I appreciate it. I appreciate Greg. Love what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another episode of Franchise Hounds. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, or would like to work with me directly to explore franchise ownership opportunities, 
please reach out through the form on our website at franchisehounds.com.